we have a uh, special guest today. We're going to invite Wendell Phillips Berwick up here. And he said to say his whole name like that because he's got something to share. So if you would uh, welcome him as he comes forward. That's talking to my old dean of the Christian Outreach School of Ministries over there. I was trying to remember a name. Hello, everyone. I try to get not get choked up before I even begin. I, uh, you know, on the way down here, I was thinking, God, you got to hold back the tears because, uh, <clears throat> well, I cry every time I go to Pakistan, and uh, you'll see why. But uh, the Lord said it's okay for a grown man to, man to cry. So, um, where do I begin? I began here in 1988. A friend of mine brought me down, and by the way, my full name, all the, those of you who, who I remember from the first days here, <laughs> uh, know me by Phil, Phil Berwick. But when I, when I moved from Hillsboro, which I missed dearly, up to Ferguson with Teresa, and our girls had grown out of the nest uh, I started using my full birth name, which is Wendell Phillips Berwick. So I'm kind of proud of that name. Wendell Phillips uh, was an abolitionist, and not that well-known of an abolitionist, and I don't need to be using the mic, right, because i got this thing stuck here. Uh, and uh, so, But he is, kind of was an instigator in the horrible, bloody Civil War, uh, he was kind of a thorn in Lincoln's side because the North was saying slavery, bad, bad, but their textile mills were knocking out blue jeans, good, good, and uh, from the bloody cotton of the South. So Wendell Phillips, and I go by Wendell. Everyone in, who I minister to in Pakistan knows me at Wendell, as Wendell. You can still call me Phil. It was in 1987 that uh, a friend of mine, David Mulder, brought me and Teresa down to a wonderful little family camp here. And I remember turning on Goldman Road, coming all the way down from Chicagoland, thinking, man, if, if, if people come all the way down here, it's, it must, there must be something to it, to, to come to the family camp. And I remember one of the first images, uh, just, just some blaze in my mind, was, was Barb and the other ladies dancing in uh in the in the lord i'd never seen anything like that up on the hill and uh and just 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 the thick presence of the lord in, in what was the christian family camps back then and as i pulled up you guys see the one little house there sitting up there well there were three rows of those kind of houses that were used to quarantine people during the outbreak of tuberculosis and uh then decades later, it, people would come from all over the country to, to uh, hang out in their tents or in their little houses, and, and this was a Jesus movement place. And so one day, all the, all the cabins were torn down because just the upkeep was, you know, it, it was costing your church money. But, but I said, tree, but the one that me and you and Alyssa and Stacia painted is still up. So that's my house, our house, <laughs> our family's house that we adopted. Even though it's got a hole in the roof, I almost want to volunteer to come down and fix it. But I get to be able to stay overnight. <laughs> but um, I went to seminary here three years. I remember talking with Dave Martin in the gazebo that used to be there. I, I remember this guy, this, this, you were kind of strange because you, you, <laughs> you sat there and let me do all the talking and you just had this big shining smile on your face and you just i wanted you to <laughs> speak back but you know uh, the love of god was all over you and all over uh this entire place and uh my buddy swore he'd never bring another buddy down to missouri again because we ended up moving down here and staying down here went to three years of seminary here never got i never graduated god said i'll be your certificate I'll be your degree. I think the last time I preached down here, I gave the book of one John by heart because your husband, uh, Julie, uh, Nick was teaching on uh, 
one shot up in the old classroom. And I thought, you know, I don't want to just ace this course of Nick's. I want, I want to memorize one John. So I, I, I gave one John by heart in here. But anyway, uh, graduated. We were living in Leonard's. I wanted to go into the wild blue world of ministry. I remember Jim, uh, the, the, the dean of the schools before you were dean of the schools. Last name, please. Huh? Yeah, Darnell. Dear Jim, and uh, he and I had a, a polite little argument one day, and because I wanted to preach to masses, you know, thousands and millions, and he was like, Phil, in the last days, people are going to be turning to Jesus through one-on-one. I'm like, well, I mean, maybe one in 500, you know, let me at least preach to 500, but he said it's going to be one-on-one evangelism. So Jim was a precious... Uh, man of God sent here to run the school, and he was smuggling Bibles into China. He had a heart attack too, too early in his life. But anyway, so I'm graduated, and I'm doing side jobs to pay our pad rent, taking trees down over trailers. And churches in North St. Louis, were, I'd, I'd networked with a couple, three black pastors, and I was up there already sharing, sharing the word, and at the same time, this Jewish friend was throwing side jobs at me, and I, uh, I was just doing the tree work, because I hated tree work, I came down here to, to escape tree work, and, <laughs> and uh, I mean, Charles Sism and Bob Heil and Nick had something to do with the pool here, and the move of the Jesus movement here on Holy Hill Christian Outreach Church. And uh, there was a couple, Dave and uh, Vicki Johnson, who were on the other side of Leonard's trailer court. And they were in our trailer one day, and me and Tree and our little ones and them and their little ones, and we're, we're praying and fellowshipping and having a meal. And afterwards, Vicki just prophesied to me and she says, God's anointed you to climb. Tr- I'm waiting to hear God's anointed you to go to the nations. God's anointed you to climb trees. <laughs> I didn't move down here to do that. Remember, I just said that. You're to take the staff that's in your hand and throw it down. And I was like, no. Gotta be kidding. But I was obedient. And it was the, most, the hardest 24 hours I ever had in my life. And uh, but Tree and I, Teresa, call her Tree, from the day I, we were engaged, or soon thereafter. And um, she and I decided we'd be obedient, and uh, God just opened the floodgates of tree work that I didn't want. And uh, <laughs> so I remember we sold our little house we left in unincorporated, unincorporated Elmhurst for 10000 to pay my first year of taxes. We're living in the trailer court 15 years later. A brother-in-law reluctantly told me, Phil, that, that little house in your acre in Yorkfield just sold for 450000 I'm like, oh, man. I lost some sleep that night. But, uh, you know, you, let, you, just, you just can't. You don't get anywhere on regrets, I've learned. So let's keep moving forward. So fast forward to now. No, fast forward to two and a half years ago. I've been doing the trees, been training men. And during the course of those years, I was a father to many men. Many of the guys that came to work for me and learn about trees did not really have a dad. And so someone had prophesied I'd be a father in that case. And... uh we lost our house and farm to Bank of America in 2008. That's another uh, uh, gone-by-the-wayside story. And so we moved up to Ferguson. During that time, during that time, um, the Michael Brown situation happened, and there were riots all over Ferguson and, and some on South Grand, and 
hundreds of buildings were battered and boarded up, and I started painting Murford all over the place. And uh, then Murford blew up, and he ended up on the... By the way, Murford is a cartoon character. You'll see him in a slideshow right soon after this. Well, I'll get on to what I was asked to come down and do, but I needed to tell you some of my history and, and, and my heart and soul and the attachment it, it has with this place. Um, you know, one of the founders, Bob Heil, he's buried in over there. I'm going to be the only white guy buried in a black cemetery because uh, I helped preserve a black cemetery in the course of my tree tenor these last decades. Um, so during the paint for, for during after the riots, there was a a paint a phenomenon. Just an organic coming together of artists to paint all these boarded up buildings on these shit, you know. And the media didn't really, they, they played on the conflict because it's what sells. But it was an incredible movement. And that's when Murford came off with just my chicken scratch and he ended up being painted. You know, brother, love your other, you know, Jesus saves. And sometimes he's just there holding out his arm. And I was like a kid that couldn't go home from camp when I just. Everything had been painted. I started going down St. Louis and Jefferson and other just, uh, streets that looked worse than Ferguson. Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther's going to be tomorrow. Uh, one of my best friends is Michael Brown's uncle. Now, I washed his feet during a, a tent prayer meeting up there, right up the street from the police station. And we both started weeping. We felt like the tent was just going to rip out of the stakes, were going to rip out of the ground and just levitate. Anyway, uh, I talked with him recently. He said, says, Phil, do you know that every Martin Luther King Street in the whole U.S. looks like the Martin Luther King Street here in St. Louis? Anyway, so Murford's being painted on what I call butt-ugly plywood. I never did graffiti. He got into a graffiti war with real graffiti gangs, and they, at one point they wiped out 25 of my paintings, you know, 666 and all this. They were just jealous because... Murford and me ended up on the front page of the Riverfront Times. Yeah, so I won the graffiti war, and that's a whole, you know what, if, if you can remember the man behind the Murfords, that was an exciting ride. But the Murford of Brother Brother Love is growing faintly dim here in St. Louis because God used him to open the door to the nation of Pakistan. And there were some Murford fans in Pakistan. And I started learning about Brickyard Kids. And, and thank you for the tool of social media. Even though Matt Zuckerberg's an atheist, man, it's been used, right, for some connect us with the world. And I got connected with Pakistan, some Murphy fans in Pakistan, because at one point I was just shooting them out there and here and there. And I, got, I, got, I kind of got screwed for a couple of years. I, I, thought, I thought I was sending money for something without going into it. It really was going into someone else's pockets. And most Americans would say, blank, blank, blank with Pakistan. The blank, blank, blank with it. But I'm not that kind of person. But I knew that brickyard, bonded labor, modern-day slavery was real. But I'm growing to not trust anyone that's got the word pastor or evangelist in front of their name over there. This is why I personally go back and forth. And I'm starting to get in a relationship with, with Muslims in high places. And we'll get into that. So the first, I'm driving down here uh, around June or July 2020, a month or two before I'm going to go to Pakistan. Now, before I went there, I found, I, 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 I could just, I said, God, help me not to divert off of just being focused on what I need to share. Because I could, so much happen, I could, be, I, I could stand here and share until the sun goes down. But we're not going to do that. I had sent some money to free this widow. I was in relationship on social media with Rihanna and her husband, who were a pastor, because there were Christians who would go to these man-forsaken brick 
yards, 40 acres. Imagine as big as, big as this property is, flat, hardly any trees, 110 degree days on our 90 degree days. Children and parents making 1,000 to 1,500 bricks a day for a couple bucks. It's called bonded labor. And the minority Christians can't get a, they can't get a loan. Even though our country has sent buttloads of billions of dollars, we've made four Pakistani generals filthy multimillionaire rich. Trump stopped it. This administration picked it up again. In fact, I'm really, really sick at heart that they sent over a couple hundred million with the strings attached of gender education. I'm just livid about that. But thank God they'll just pocket it and they're not going to indoctrinate their kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm on my way. Tom had called me to come down and look at the sweet gum trees in, you know, in, in your back here and in the front and just give him some advice. On the way down here, I was thinking of Golshin, who I had sent $800 to free. She was a widow. Her, a big brick, you can see the bricks are times and a half the size of our bricks or more. It had fallen, shattered some, her bones, and the cruel brick master was still making her make two to 500 bricks a day. She, she's out there 12 hours a day in that heat doing that. And I, I'm like, how much, how much, how much to free her? Because there's a ransom. It just, it just, it's interest from hell. And it costs $800 to free her. Uh, some families are two to three times that much. Now I'll, ex I'll explain why that happens. And uh, her name's Golshin. So I'm thinking about Golshin on the way down here. I'm thinking about her and the other 12 families in her brickyard because I, 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 I was beginning to know about them. And uh, I'm going down 70. I'm going to take 55 down to you guys. And I look to my left, and, and uh, there's a guy in a car, and he's slamming his steering wheel. And I'm like in my pickup truck looking at him. Why is this guy slamming his steering wheel? Well, there's a van in front of him that's not going fast enough for him. And he, I go, he looks at me, and I go like, what? <laughs> he goes, and he's pointing at the van. I'm like, oh, he feels boxed in at 8.30 on a Sunday morning because a person's going 65 miles an hour and he wants to go 80. So I, I pulled off to the right. 70 is, don't let your kids drive Highway 70. My, my youngest daughter got road rage there one night and driven off the street. Just the, uh, yeah, uh, it's, 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 it's not... Hillsboro anymore <laughs> up there but I come down so I'm just the guy by the way here I'm going on a diversion but he floored it and it looked like his car blew up and it was just a big puff of smoke and I I had to repent because I was really happy that that, that happened I was like <laughs> <laughs> so I'm coming down and I I'm in here and I'm looking at the words of the song we're singing the song and Dan, I'm pretty sure that's a song. I'm sitting over here uh, two and a half years ago. I'm reading the words. And uh, prepare our hearts. Let's see. It was one of these two songs you, you, that was on there this morning. At any rate, at any rate, it had to do with, with rescuing, that he rescued us, and uh, he's going, you know, prepare. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I called, you answered, you came to my rescue, and I want to be where you are. Anyway, it was one of these songs that we've all sung hundreds and hundreds of times. And uh, and I all I could do is mouth the words. 
I couldn't sing another charismatic song. I'm sitting here mouthing the words. I'm just, if anyone had heard me, they wouldn't have heard anything. They would have just seen my mouth moving, sitting here. And it was in this place that I thought, I can't just free Gulshan. I have to empty out the whole brickyard. And I really busted my butt and saved a whole lot of money like never before. When I had crews of men, I was always in the red. All of a sudden, I'm working by myself, and Teresa's once in a while dragging brush with me. I'm in the black. And I went to Pakistan. I, I, I sent another 3,000 to free uh, three other families. And then I went to Pakistan. You can do the next uh, slide. Because even though this is a brickmaster, he's, he's signing the debt of release for Gulshan. This is a pastor who I had been... Uh, doing the brokering for people's freedom through with Brickmasters. And uh, even though uh, I, I knew this time it was true, I was only 99% sure. I needed to be 100% sure, so I had to go there. So I went there, and I was having hate in my heart for this guy. Muhammad Ramzan. I mean, look at his eyes, but I just think that was the camera. But at first, I used to look at this picture and just, I was hating him. And uh, the pastor said, brother, and I t he knew I had an attitude. He said, Jesus loves him too. I was like, you're right, you're right. And uh, when I went there, with, an, with 10 grand is the most you can take internationally, uh, I'd only say it had that, there's high overhead in tree work, and with the workers' comp and everything, you, you really don't end up with anywhere near that much uh, liquid money to do something with other than fix trucks and pay your mortgage. But I went there with 10 grand in my hand, and I bought the freedom. You could do the next slide. Before I went there, this is another family I remotely freed, two girls and a, and a brother, and their mother was in a hospital because she had had intense heat stroke. And so when I found that out, we freed them ASAP. Immediately, as soon as the mom got out of the hospital, they were, we, we brought them to a village. This is what millions of minority Christian boys and girls have been subjected to in Pakistan, in India, in Bangladesh, in China, in in, in, in the child labor's illegal, but never enforced in these places. Bonded labor's illegal, but never enforced. You can hit the next one. Um, the pastor insisted on a Murford banner, a Murford, a, a Freedom Murford. So I'm thinking a Freedom Murford. So the brick idea, because every brick master has his name stamped on his damn brick, excuse me. And, uh, but they're not going to be damned. They're going to go to heaven. We're going to pray for their salvation, and I'll share that with you later. That's already... The, the cracks are starting to happen in the bricks and the hearts. So, uh, next one. Uh, okay, so I go there. I sat down to... Th this was a celebration the day after the rest of the 13 families were freed. Most of them are in there. This gal on the upper right, we were just weeping and, and falling in each other's arms, and she said it, it feels like the day of her wedding. She had been in there all her married life with her husband, and they were older now. This gal down here is, was a, over 100 years old. Her daughter was in the brickyard, her daughter's daughter in the brickyard, her daughter's daughter's daughter in the brickyard, and they were all, all freed that day. Um, a lot of people were freed that day. And uh, I came back and it, they like, what was that feeling? What was that feeling? Oh, yeah, it was like Jesus emptying the temple. That's what I felt like. That's what it felt like. And, uh, you know, I sat next to Muhammad Ramson in his dark, dank office. And just, uh, there was no animosity. It was just lifted. It just, I felt sorry for him. I almost felt a a liking to him. And uh, 
Okay, it just, he looked crueler than he sounded, and I brought him a big fat bag of American M&Ms and a Murford coloring book, and we shook hands, and uh, um, oh, he had been under pressure from all these other brickmasters not to do it, not to let some guy from the USA come in and buy the freedom of everybody. It would look bad. I'm glad it looked bad. But I just, I just couldn't free one. My motive wasn't so it would look bad, but, but it ended up looking good and bad and bad and good. But how could you just free one family is what I thought. So that's what I went and I did. So you could go to the next one. And then, then when I came back, people believed it was real. My own family, before I went, I had two brother-in-laws just texting me saying, why am I going to Pakistan? What about the people in your own front yard? What if you end up in jail? I finally, what if you get COVID? I'm like, they die from a lot worse things than COVID over there. And I named all the diseases. And I said, and secondly, if I end up in jail, what of it? Paul ended up in jail. How many books did he write from jail, Dave? Huh? 11? I don't know. Either Dave. Uh, Waukes' wife died giving birth to the littlest one. This is a normal thing. It should not be normal. Or the children die in birth. So here he was, left in a brickyard with his children. He's free. He was one of the first ones I came back because now people were like, hey, we want it. Hey, how much to free somebody? And so after the 13, we have freed another 27 families between then and now. Next one. Uh, this was a day I got really angry because this was another widow and her hubby had died seven years ago earlier in the brickyard so the two older boys probably David and um, I forget the other boy's name that's Misha and Manisha and they may be remember their father but uh, I just uh, if you go to the Freedom Cry Facebook page I have an eight minute video that I put together regarding this family. And uh, just invite you to go check that out. They are free now. And these girls, uh, they've grown really fast. They're going to be trained in sewing any day now soon. And I'll discuss that later. Next, You can see on the left, she was, she was weeping. Sweet little thing. Um, Sawara, Sawara on the bottom right. She's deaf, mute still. Uh, deaf and mute have been healed. God's used my hands in one of our evangelist's hands, but I don't know why uh, we haven't felt compelled or even thought about praying for her muteness. I, I visited her a couple times, and her, she and her family are free. Uh, she learned to write uh, with a stick in the sand. Her sister would write on her hand, and it was amazing to see that her sister taught her letters by writing a stick on, on the sand on her hand. Uh, old brother was showing me the grave of his wife, uh, and this was a day when we bought his freedom, we bought his sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters freedom, all who were born in the brickyard. Next one. It was either my second or third trip. Uh, my wife, oh, Teresa would be here, but uh, there's a friend, Ricky Gorl, who came here to go to school from Wisconsin. She's, she's dying. And she may be uh, gone to heaven by the time I uh, leave here or in three or four days, but I think Teresa may be, have gone to be with her daughter. They live in St. Peter's. And uh, I, I visited her in the hospital, and I prayed for, for healing for her. And she, she, she calls me up, and she says, Phil, thanks for praying for my healing, but I, I really want to go home. I said, why didn't you tell me that? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so anyway... I, it was my, my second or third trip, and Teresa saw me run around like a chicken with my head cut off. She said, Phil, 
You need to stop. You need to ask God, what is it he wants you to do this time? I was like, wow, I really haven't done that. And so I didn't stop. <laughs> but I did say, I, I'm walking out of the house as soon as she said that. And I say, okay, Teresa just said I'm supposed to ask you what I'm supposed to do this time. Bam, immediately, talk to the brickmasters. Talk to their hearts and souls. I mean, it came that fast. Like, wow, okay. So it w- there were 10, maybe 12 brickmasters who my precious friend and my primary interpreter, Nadim, on the left in the leather, their fake Pakistani leather coat, uh, was interpreting for me. And we would go in there, just asking the Holy Spirit to go in there with us, not knowing how we were going to begin or end. We would always begin, it was easy to begin, because, hey, I love the USA, you know. You know Ellen. I'm like, (laughs) he knows Ellen more than I know Ellen. Whoever, you know, and we just small talk and friendly talk. And I'd always have a family in there with me sitting in the background. Uh, not, not this. These were some other friends, ministers. <clears throat> and uh, invariably, by the time it was over, I'm able to, to, to get into their souls and hearts and the consciousness that they have left because they, it is agreed that passes understanding. They really do believe that the Christian minorities are born to serve them. They really believe that. So, uh, they, by the end of it, uh, when I'm telling them, you know what, you're Allah. And I don't think Allah and God are the same thing. No, no, no. But I'm just telling you, I. When you stand before God, how are you going to speak to him? How are you going to say, I love you, God, when you love a God you can't see, but you treated these people in your brickyard that you can't see like your donkeys, like your water buffalo, or worse? They eat better than your people. And I'm getting into their heart and conscience, and they, he, he was crying. And, and I, I could... I could share my, my discussions with every brickmaster for the rest of the day with you, but it, they're intense. But by the end of it, breathing hard, they admit what they're doing is evil, they confess it, but every time I say, well, will you let this family go free then? Then they snap out of it and go, no, no, we need to see the money. So, anyway, you can go to the next one. Um... Every time I've gone there, I've just, I haven't gone there to preach, but I was always asked to preach. I, three times I wanted to live in a brickyard, sleep in a brickyard, eat in a brickyard, and bounce around brickyards. And I, for the sake of my host, said, pleaded with me, brother, brother, no, you can't. It's dangerous. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Oh, no, it's not. Brother, please listen to Okay, I'll listen to you. So what do I end up doing? is preaching, going from village to village. I preached for hundreds, I preached for thousands. I didn't throw any of the thousands. So remember, I really, that's all I wanted to do, to do, do was preach to thousands. I, I've had offers all over the country. It's just like, I'm not interested. And that's strange, because... <laughs> because other people do that. Australians and Europeans and Americans, and they go there and they have... You know, they, and it costs a lot of money. You bust the people in. When, when we had 5,000 people come to, our, to a January 1, uh, it was massive. I mean, maybe to some people, to, to Bonky, 5,000 might not be massive. To, to, to uh, tree climber me, it was massive. And it was powerful. But, but uh, I only paid $900 for that. It, it was a $10,000 uh, what I heard later, man, these crusades, they, they cost $10,000. Well, be, be, because the Christians have to, they not, are not allowed to meet in the open. And that was just to rent the sound system and some security. And that was, that was it. And, uh, and some other amenities, you know. Uh, 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 they have to wall themselves in. 
They, they got to rent these large walls, fabric walls, to be able to have their crusades. So uh, <clears throat> back to what I came there to do, they had to dress me because I just threw jeans and, and T-shirts in my luggage, and I, I almost wanted to come here in my Pakistani outfit, but I, th- I thought it would distract. Um, but... Um, I had little and big miracles. Every little miracle is a big miracle, right? I mean, us standing here looking at each other, I, that's not even a little miracle. That's a, that's a big miracle. We're hurling around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour, and we just feel a still, small breeze. This is an aside. You know, uh, in this day of angst, and I can hardly stand hearing my conservative pod- podcast anymore. I can hardly stand hearing about the open borders and the invasion of our nation. I can hardly stand the hypocrisy. That and and so I've gone down to my my relaxing my relaxation is listening to creation evolution debates. So I tell you, get into them. Uh, John Lennox versus. Uh, the guy who wrote The God Delusion was listening to him last night and on the way down. But when I came and I started laying hands on people, it was weird because uh, I didn't feel really holy. I I had blown my first trip. I had blown a fast, and I had had a couple... I had had a, 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 a cup of wine on each airplane, right? I mean... I don't want to cause anyone to stumble in here, but I didn't feel that holy. And, and everyone I prayed over, the Lord just manifested big time. I, the, it, this, this man was a Muslim who came, and Muslims would come, and other people would come. They found out where I was, and he, uh, I was reading some scripture. I didn't know he was a Muslim at the time. And the pastor, t- and so I'm reading the scripture, and he starts he starts fondling my Bible. He's blind, and he, he's fingering my Bible, and so I had to pull my iPhone out and take a shot of that, and I'm glad I got that. You know what? I took that after I led him to the Lord. He had been fingering the Bible beforehand, and I, I prayed over his eyes because I'd had, I had experienced a really cool miracle the night before and I'll, I'll, I'll briefly mention that but so I prayed over his eyes and uh, because after he's I led him in the prayer to Jesus and I said oh, you know he said through an interpreter it's okay it's okay I God will heal my eyes in heaven the, the wife came in with uh, her face covered, like Muslim women do. And her face covering came down after Jesus. So she might not look like she's happy, but her face isn't covered. On the right, uh, I was in a gathering... And uh, it might have been this gathering, as a matter of fact. And so people were lined up for prayer. And it's like everyone wants prayer. So you're laying, you know, two hands at a time and, and that kind of thing. Well, this young man comes. He breaks through the crowd. He says, please, come pray. And obeyed, said he wants you to pray for his brother. Please, come pray for... And, and I don't know why I, I didn't say, well, wait your turn, but I felt I was to, to break through the crowd, and when I got to the edge of the crowd, I had seen him walk in. He, I'd never seen someone with a club foot before. Sam Paul used to tell me about all the miracles that, and I was on the board of Gospel Outreach for a lot of years, and uh, gave faithfully, but never went. Now, uh, Sam Paul would ask, brother, come with me to India, you know, and he'd being on the board, he'd feed us Indian meals and tell us about incredible miracles. But I was busy doing, you know, the living tree care thing with 
crews and working 12 to 16 hours shaking money out of people to, so I could make payroll and all that kind of stuff. And I just had no, my head was with Sam Paul, but my heart for all those years and my soul just wasn't there until you go. And so if I'm saying all this and no one catches this, I totally understand. Because it, it's, it's, just, it's just, you can't expect to someone, for someone to be in your same lane. But when you sing the words, just don't mouth the words. And ask God, what, what can I do while I still got breath in this earth to take the enemy down, to rescue those being led away to death? I get to the edge of that uh, crowd, and I see this. He's like this. I mean, he's bent over like this. I see his club foot, and all of a sudden, I had a split-second decision like, I mean, it was a a lightning split-second decision like, I don't know if I can do this or I'm going to do this. And it's like, I almost, I felt like I was leaving the ground. Bam. Not I do this, Jesus does this, but I can do this, right? Bam, leaving the ground, touch his head. And there's something powerful about tongues. You start kicking into tongues, and, and uh, there's this great thing I love about speaking in tongues is you can't speak either one's language most of the time, but each other knows that when the Holy Spirit's activating and you're both speaking in tongues, you're speaking the same language. <laughs> you're speaking the Holy, Holy Spirit language. But he went over, and um, then I left these guys to minister to him, got back, and uh, the crowd's kind of dissipating. And you talk about being worn out. I was more worn out than any day of doing trees after praying for all the people I would pray for every evening, all the time. And... Uh, but all of a sudden, I see him, uh, he's dancing and jumping up and down like this to let me see that he's healed. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing. So next one. Okay, yeah. So the, the religion of global warming, it disgusts me. It disgusts me, especially because I go there and I'm disgusted there. With 20,000 of these raw, cold, belching towers with human beings created in the image of God, having a slave here, having bad lungs, bad hearts, and we're going to be paying $800 million to a trillion dollars a year for, what is it, climate, not climate remediation, probation, whatever you call it, bad, bad USA, we infected the world with pollution. We're infecting the world with pornography and driving sex trafficking. We're not, pollu- not polluting the world with this. And the atmosphere can... You know what? I, on my Freedom Cry Facebook page, it was going to thousands of people. I got really ticked off and did a video, and I said, you know what? The atmosphere cleans itself, and I got lamb-blasted by Facebook for that. They didn't like touching uh, global religion of atmosphere. All right, go on. Um, yeah, they pretty much told me we're going to stifle. I don't remember the Facebook lingo, but we're going to stifle your reach and all this. And then they showed me, I want, you know. <clears throat> I would think that they'd ban me because I was, I was revealing in many, many pictures of this modern-day slavery, and since they're in bed with China, uh, and China's in bed with Facebook, that, that, that I would get banned for that, not for the global warming religion. But um, one of my uh, interpreters one day said, uh, Phil, you know what? God bless you. You love to free the families. You could take that $1,000 and in one year, in one year, it'll pay for the education, books, and supplies of a whole brickyard full of children, teacher, and everything. And I was like, wow, that's a no-brainer. That is a no-brainer. So this is where I've gone. Uh, we have now uh, 15 schools, 300, over 350 children, and 15 brick kilns, 
and uh, my brother on the left, Tahir, uh, was insisting that I name the school. I said, you name the school. No, you name the school. No, you name the school. He goes, no, you name the school. I said, okay, Freedom School. He said, no, brother, Freedom School System. <laughs> so I said, okay, that's what it'll, it'll be called. And uh, because after 10 to 12 hours of work, up above, that's a brickyard we need to get into. That's what the children end up doing. They wake up at 3 o'clock. All spring and summer into fall is so hot, they have to wake up at 3 o'clock to drink some tea, eat a few scraps, and then hit the brickyard while it's dark so they can beat the heat. And by 2 or 3 o'clock, it's just inhumanely impossible to stay alive and do the bricks. So, so they, they'll go by the office of the brick manager who has the only shade trees, and they'll hang around for the rest of the day. We, as long as the brickmasters get their 10 to 12 hours of work pumped out of these precious little ones, we get to teach them. And they are learning at a supernatural rate. We've got precious teachers, and uh, uh, just they're learning English and Urdu. And you know what? I don't need to preach to thousands upon thousands because we are creating evangelists of the next generation that are going to be preaching to thousands and thousands. They're not going to be indoctrinated. They're, going to, they're learning. In fact, I've just uh, given direction to my superintendents to get, there's finally a, an Urdu Bible that's not Old King James English and they're going to, they're going, that's going to be the reader, is the Bible. That's what the USA's reader was. Right? Children in Virginia, they memorize chapters in the, in the Gospel of John. So next one. You know, generations before us, they wrote, they, they knew really good cursive, they knew the English language, so this is what it is. Again, they insisted on Murford, he had to be in there, so there it is, freedom school system. Now, I want you to see, this, this is real joy on a children's face that are finding out they're not going to do, do nothing but make bricks, bricks, bricks for the rest of their life. Next one. I need to, to bring a close-up of her. This is Shafaf, one of my superintendents. Um, some of, I'm always having to tell the guys, look, frame the picture this way. Frame the, but it's okay that Shafaf was cut out of this picture because um, I just often look at this well, it's, it's our uh, freedom, it's, it's a banner on all the schools, but look at the joy. Okay, next, you know. Uh, I had a friend call me from California, he had seen one of the videos, again, go to the freedom, the uh, freedomcry.life website, freedomcry.life, or the Facebook page, Freedom Cry, and you'll see gobs of videos. Santa on the left was born in the brickyard, Made, made bricks all day. Her sister, her cousin, Sonia, was in the same brickyard. A boyhood friend said, Phil, I saw one of your videos. You were asking uh, a girl her dream. She said to sew cloth, Phil, you freed her. How can we make her dream come true? And so Mark, is, he's on the board. He's running with this thing called Freedom Fashions selling dresses. These two girls, not only are they freed from the brick kiln, but we got a, 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 a gal on the left, Rabina, who lived in a little room for a real famous wealthy Muslim man in Lahore, and she made all the family's clothes. Well, we stole her. And, <laughs> you know, we kidnap in good ways. And because kidnapping a Hindu and Muslim girls is a real thing in Pakistan. And that's something else we're going to deal with face on. And uh, a couple people in jail there who have this ridiculous blasphemy charge are on death row. We're going to face that head on. That, and that's a whole other story uh, and journey. But Robina has taught Santa and Sonia how to make the most beautiful dresses. And they're in outfits they made and uh, yeah so that's happening he also took his life savings and uh, from making cabinets all his life and built a three-story freedom house 
where girls and are going to be able to come, and they're already that's where they're they're making the their stuff, their their outfits. He said, "Phil, this is you gave me a new lease on life." I said, "I know the feeling, Mark. I know the feeling." He, and and all his friends or my friends, they are actually millionaires, and it's funny because they were all visiting Mark in his home in California. And uh, I said, did you tell the guy? He wanted to talk to the guys about Pakistan. At the end of, they were there a week. They had all rented a beach house. I said, did the, did Bill or Chris or Vito? Did, you know, you know, everyone's want donors. But I said, did you talk to them? Phil, they're not interested. This is their life. They sit around. And they talk about how much money this guy has and how much money that guy has. Is you know. And so he, a blue collar guy like me, did what he did. Next one. And uh, there he is on the right, Mark Christensen. We were best boyhood friends. And we'd call each other up every five or six years. But now we're best friends again. And Dave Mulder, he's the uh, one who drove me down here to the Christian Outreach School of Ministries. And Mary Fagan. We got a small board. I really need three or four more people on my board. And I have three people in mind. Okay, next one. And this is our... uh, Pakistan, part of our Pakistan, the leaders of our Pakistan team, with including the teachers, uh, close to 20 people over there. Some are part time because the teachers can only teach, but they get good pay for for teaching just the two or three hours. We buy the motorcycles so they don't have to wait on a rickshaw, little Hondas, and uh, they able. And some of them are starting to teach two 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 brickyards. Our next goal is to really get these brickmasters and the parents to shake loose of the kids, that the kids need to be taught six to seven hours a day like the government schools. But until that happens, uh, remember the guy in the bottom right, Salamat. Okay, next picture. Oh, hi, here he is. So, I'm uh, on my last trip. No, I had met many, many brickyard men who had been in there from the debt of their father who had gone in there with a $100 loan. And it's worse than the Hotel California. Those of us who remember that you can never check in any time you want, but you can never leave. And uh, they're, get, they're, 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 just, they're, they're allowed somehow to get away with not even paying a whole family the minimum wage of one Pakistani. And uh, Salamat was able to work his way out. I did not, I wanted to buy his freedom, but I felt the Lord say, let him work his way out of the freedom. So, so what I did do was pay, I prayed over his feet because part of the time he was in there for year after year after year was in the winter, his, he'd get really bad feet and he would be unable to work. He was a single guy, didn't have a family to feed, so he was able to finally free himself a year ago. He'd been in there since he was eight years old. I'm sitting here, looking in his eyes, and there was something different because many a man's eyes I looked into, they love the Lord and they're full of joy, but their gray matter was never used to get creative and do the things that we love to do. They, all their life was spent making bricks, bricks, and million bricks, and making the brick kilns millions of dollars and getting only enough, barely enough, to feed them and their families. And then the monsoons come, it rains, there's no brickyard bank. They have to beg the brickmaster for, for a, some potato, or they go out foraging. Some of them, all they eat every, their whole life is, is potatoes, some onions, some, a couple old vegetables. They make the most out of their meals. I'm looking at him, and there's something different about him. His eyes are not hollow. He's looking at me. He's like looking right through me. And I, I asked my interpreter to... Could I talk with this man? Could I meet him again? Could he come back to the family whose I was house of stand? Yes, brother, he lives nearby. I said, please bring him. And, um, and he sat there for half an hour and talked to me. And one of the things in his story, he, uh, he told about how a woman in a brickyard had the devil. And he prayed hard, and the devil left her. And I'm like... Yeah, he's got, he's got the anointing. He's got the anointing. And uh, so I call him my brickyard bishop. I have made him a bishop. You know, 
you got bishop this and apostle that, right? And prophet this and prophet that. He is our brickyard bishop. He's the only one that's employed like this. And I get miracle reports on a daily basis because he goes to not our brickyard schools on a daily basis, but he goes to other brickyards, he preaches, he prays for the sick. I had a chat with him, and I I, I asked God for a sign. If he is to be in full-time ministry, unlike the teachers, unlike uh, that he's going to know... His favorite, his favorite Bible story is going to be the book of Jonah. And sure enough, when I ask him, what, what's your favorite Bible story? It's the book of Jonah. Okay, next one. And uh, you know what? You know what? In all their grief and all their sicknesses and all their hard, hard labor, they worship God hard. And uh, I could tell, I, I just... I was at one brick yelling. It was the hottest day, and we were menaced during the Pakistani worship. Everyone's hand was up. It wasn't like there were two or three hands up. It was like everyone's hands are up. I'm like, they've been working with their hands and arms all day. And I think mine would be maybe hanging at the side. But uh, next one. That, okay, so it segues in, into Dan had asked me, you know, what... what what's going to be the message. And uh, I really didn't have a message, but what come, come, came to my mind was John um, 8.36, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. When I came back, when I came back, I don't know if it was the second or third time, I had to answer this guy who I was having an argument with on someone's Facebook thread, and I found him. Because before I left, we were having a creation-evolution debate, a God or not God debate. And uh, I remember him saying, you know what? I don't need a God. I have a good house. I got a good family. I got a good car. Maybe he said I got a good boat. And I'm like, crap. How do you answer that? Well, I came back, and I got, and I said, you know what? I just met people who don't have a house. They don't have a car. I mean, they live, the family lives in a little brick, 15 by 15 brick hole in the wall. And uh, they don't have what you got. They have nothing that you have. They have none of the meals that you have. But they hope in God because, because if this was all there was, and they had nothing of what you had, they were robbed. And you had it all. But you know what? They're going to have it all. Because their hope, I only met one old man who said, I have no more hope. Because I asked everyone, what keeps you going? Hope in God. Hope in God. And it isn't like everyone heard what the other one was saying. That's what everyone at any of the brickyards said. So, another verse I gave Dan, besides John eight thirty six, whom the Son says, free is free indeed, is Proverbs twenty four eleven. Uh, which has become my life verse. For all the years I was down here, my, my primary verse was I would stand at the door, station myself on the rampart to see what he might speak to me and how I may reply when I'm reproved. So I don't know about the rest of you, but lately my, my feet have been crawled rolling out onto the floor, and I'm like, thank you, God. I, I didn't sin yesterday, right? Because, I mean, what used to be little sins, after a while, they're big sins. And we're not talking about drinking a glass of wine on an airplane, but what we hold in our heart, right? Or what kind of judgment we have of another brother. This and that. And... uh my new life verse is Proverbs 24, 11. As of about 10 years ago, rescue those being led away to death. Deliver those being led to the slaughter. And then Proverbs 24, 12 says, but if you say we knew nothing about this in our, in our heart and don't do anything about it, doesn't the God who weighs the heart, isn't he going to do something? 
about it. So, you know, not every one of us can go to Pakistan or India or whatever, whatever, or to the homeless shelter there, but you, we, right? But we're, we're, you're all, without even asking, I know you're pro-life, and, and in America, you know, there's, we're rescuing those being led away to, to the slaughter by whatever, you know, we all are doing in that regard. Teresa does work for Thrive, by the way, a crisis pregnancy center. And as maybe few of you know, over 100 have been assaulted and attacked and firebombed and graffitied and all that. Um, but that's the message. Whom the Son says free is free indeed. And you know what? I had a brickmaster call me. It was after my third trip. Someone had told him, yeah, this is a man of God. You can call to him. He was dying. His, he had like this uh, small percentage of his heart left. So we're on WhatsApp. And he's sending me messages. And uh, I got an Urdu to English, an English to Urdu app. And I'm sending messages back. And he's asking me about Jesus. And he's like, brother, I mean, my heart is failing. Uh, can you pray? And then the next night, and, and I had to be kind of cautious. You know, is this guy for real? I'm looking looking him up and he's really a brick master and and then uh, I, I prayed for him to receive the Lord and he said yes I, I felt it was real and that morning he calls me and said brother I don't know who to say this to Jesus came to me in my dream last night he <laughs> He touched me on my heart. And I went, to, I went to my doctor. He's Muslim too. He said, you, oh, well, what happened? Your heart is 100%. He said, I told him Jesus came to me. He touched my heart and told me, be good to people. I had met a man, Muhammad Riaz on my third trip because I heard that before our crusade, this is what was unique about our crusade, all these 75 brick kilns all pulled their money together and uh, had heard what I had done the first time I came and that ripple of freedom just went through all through Kasur and O'Kara and other cities and they all pitched in their rupees, and they all hired buses, and they all came to our crusade. But before this one brickyard got on a bus to come to that big crusade, the brickmaster called them all to his office because his father and him had been convicted. They said, Allah is not happy. Allah will be happy with us if we let these families go free. So third, this was a large brickyard, 35 it was either 35 Christian families, and Muslims are in the brick kiln too, the lower caste Muslim. There is still a caste system. 35, uh, we'll say Christian families probably, and 15 Muslim families came to their big courtyard outside the office. It's the only beautiful place in the entire brickyard because they've got some big, big, cool trees and you know, birds. It's just desolation desert, the other 40 acres. But they came to his courtyard. He said, all your debts are in this book. He had a fire going, and he put it in the fire. And so I, I had heard that this had happened because he came up and they told us at the crusade. So then my next trip, I had to meet this guy. And I, got, I, I met uh, this brickmaster, Muhammad Riaz. And his massive brick yard was like a, a ghost town. It was so peaceful. They had actually let all their bonded laborers go free. He wants to do everything he can for Freedom Cry. There's others that are like that. Uh, I asked him, I said, Is this, does anyone else do this in your nation? He said, someone did it 10 years ago. Yeah. So, so of all the streets like in St. Louis that I like to go down, I'm happy going down Sappington because Thomas Sappington was one of the few American slaveholders that let his slaves go free, in case you guys don't know that. And the most, and I'll leave, the, ending up the story... And it's been more story than preaching on the word. But uh, I got, someone's trying to get through, and lots of Pakistanis try to get through to me. I don't have time. I'm going up and down trees, and uh, I really have to have, have 
once my number was up there out there on WhatsApp and that um, calls all the time. But this one guy was messaging me, so that's a whole lot better. He's messaging me, and uh, I'm messaging him back, and over a period of two or three days, and it ends up. He says, "I've been following you for a long time." Basically, one night, uh, then I had my interpreter call him and arrange a chat with me. Who are you? And how do you do? And thanks for following us. Why are you following us? <laughs> and uh, he owns Zigzag Construction Company. Okay, Zigzag Construction Company. <clears throat> so we've been trying to get brickmasters on board. That God would turn their heart from brick to clay. That's been my prayer. He's not a brick master. He's not a brick manager. He's not a politician. He builds brick yards. So these are massive construction sites. I mean, you have to consider their brickyard furnace is the size of a European football field underground. These are tunnels of furnace. And, uh, and he's built... He builds brickyards in Afghanistan, in Pakistan. Brother, I've been following you. What you're doing is good. He told us, uh, he confirmed that the brickmasters are just as evil as we know they are, but worse. And his heart breaks. He says, but I know some good brickmasters. We need to get with you when you come here. Basically, he wants me to start a movement <laughs> for for the poor brick kiln families, I'm just not really wanting to organize any union or anything like that, but that's basically what he wants me to do. And he builds these massive brick, brick towers. You know, the last song, uh, Towers of Brick Yards, Brick Kilns, uh, prepare our hearts to worship, prepare our hearts on holy ground, let our defenses tumble down. Come do what you can. I'm sorry I haven't turned around and spoken to some of you guys. That's why I like this in the round. Dan, thanks, and Tom, thanks for letting me come and share. The song said, let our defenses tumble down. Come do what only you can do. You know, I just want to close with this. I was walking through one of the many, many, many brickyards that I visited. I, I, I I told you earlier, I cried a lot over that. I've never wept so many times in my life. And number one was, uh, of course, the suffering. But the bigger reason was the love they had and the forgiveness they had. I never saw anyone angry or bitter against a brickmaster for robbing them of their life and breath and being. But I was angry, and I'm walking through the brick kiln. And I looked up at him, I said, I said, you know about this. He immediately shot back, that's right, now you do too. <laughs> Thank you.